Recorded live. This is episode 10, Ghost Ships and Scuba Divers with Rebreathers. This week we'll be talking about scuba-inspired fashion, scuba marriage proposal, scuba diver sues, CSI underwater, and international public safety diver challenge. Good good day, good afternoon, good evening. (laughs) Good something. Good something. So how you doing today, Jim? I'm doing really good, and I'm doing better now that the weekend is uh, within sight. How about you? Oh, it's been uh, an up and a down. I've had some good stuff and some bad stuff, and as you can probably hear listening to my voice, I'm fighting off a cold. I was actually out first day. I've been sick and work probably in six, seven years. I rarely miss. I mean, I've been sick going to work, and you know, I'm, I'm the typhoid Darren. I'll go and bring the disease to everybody who happens to be unfortunate enough to work. I could see all... All my guys at work were cringing when I was talking on Monday, so but I finally had to give it up and uh, stay home yesterday and get some sleep in. Uh, of course, that that was kind of bad because that gave me time to think about stuff to buy, and I did some impulse scuba shopping. <laughs> so, uh, how's your week been? You know, <laughs> it, it's it's okay. Um, Nothing nearly as adventurous as what you've got going on. Um, I, I really am looking forward to the, to diving this week. Um, uh, you know, a long day starting out Monday and thinking about diving, talking about diving, and um, our dive last week was just just more of a taste. It really wasn't. Uh, it was the first dive that I've had that I I can look back and say I've I've had better. Um, but you know, we got wet. Um, learned, I learned a lot actually. So, uh, it was a successful dive as far as that goes. It certainly was. And we'll go ahead and cover that in a little bit, but we also have a special guest with us for a return visit. We have our mentor, Mac, Don McElnaney. How you doing, Don? Pretty good. And as long as you keep that coal and whatever you've got that away, be fine with me. It's cooties. Uh-oh. Yeah, actually, I'm I'm in that stage where it sounds worse. You know, I'm going to go from the uh, the the deep uh, radio voice all the way up to the uh, crackling uh, uh, mayor impersonation. So, so <laughs> it's an inside it's an inside joke. If you're not in the Midwest and you don't know who Mayor Daly is, haven't heard people imitate him, you won't you won't get that one. But. Uh, uh, so, Don, speaking of the Midwest, you got up to the Ghost uh, Ship Festival up in Milwaukee. Uh, how was that this weekend? Well, um, you went up to the Ford Seahorses. Yes. And I think that was an entertaining one, and we both, everybody, you know, went up to the Outworld Underwater. Actually, I liked Ghost Ships better. So that was better, uh, than, that better than the other two. Yeah, it, it's organized a little differently, and... Really, really professionally, I think. Uh, I'll be bringing some literature to the dive meeting uh, next Tuesday. Or, yeah, next Tuesday. And uh, one of the items I have is the Ghost Ship Festival brochures they handed out. It's 83 pages long. 82 Holy pages. smokes. And the nice part is it's like a little booklet. So you're going to get this and be able to look at it and say, okay, now I know I want to go next year. For example, they got the Ghost Ships presenter information with photos the blurb, 
Now, I know at the Seahorses, you can look that up on, online, but this is, I can read it so much quicker in my hand. Uh, the other aspect about the ghost ships, that's put on by the Great Lakes Shipwreck Research Foundation. That's who puts it on. Oh, so they, they're the ones who put the show on then? That is correct. This is their 11th year, and they've already scheduled the one for 2011, and it's going to be March 25th and 26th. That's a Friday and a Saturday, and uh, it's definitely worth the trip. I left in the morning. took me three hours and ten minutes to get there. Walked in before they even had the uh, displays fully up. I left about 6.30. I was home by 10, well, maybe 11 o'clock. So it was wow. a full day, but I got a lot of, I went to a lot of good presentations. Um, and obviously the one I really enjoyed was the seminar on the uh, closed circuit rebreathers. And uh, it, it was well worth going for myself. So did you spend most of the day in the rebreather class or the seminar? Actually, the seminar was only two hours, one o'clock till three o'clock. But I got there, checked in, and uh, she said, well, we started actually an hour early, the earlier than the program set. So we actually started at 12. Um, the first hour was a question and answer session on rebreathers. They talked about the different types, a little bit about the history. And having gone to the material last week and having looked it up in, in the interim, made a lot more sense to me. The key items I thought were really, really interesting uh, are the following. One, they are now making two types of, of rebreathers. One is going to be the recreational rebreather. The other is going to be the technical rebreather. Some of the items they had there, for example, they had a prototype from the Poseidon company, same as Viking, that I like a lot. Yes. They had what they call a Discovery Mark VI. And this is one of those you set it on the surface like that little thing, set it and forget it. Uh-huh. The rotisserie. Well, on this uh, CCR, you set up everything on the surface. It does the diagnostics. And everything, if everything is a go on the surface, it's a go when you're diving it. It's automatic. Now, now it's automatic. Yeah. Yeah, because we, we saw that the uh, week before we had uh, Dive Right, you know, gave their pitch. So, uh for those who, who didn't pick up the last episode, what they're talking about with the dive right is he pretty much went in and said, if you don't have $10,000, don't go and get in the rebreathers. And if you're not willing to meticulously dive it and maintain it constantly, you don't want to get into it. So was that similar with this Poseidon? Yes and no. Uh, one of the other items I thought was really interesting is uh, some of these guys are from the straits, uh, when I say straits, the Florida Keys and down. And when they're actually starting their new diving classes, they're starting guys brand new on rebreathers. On a rebreather. That's the way they start. Because coming up, learning how to use a bottle or a, a sling, you know, a bailout. Mm -hmm. I've already gone through CCR training. Duh. You know, that's like driving a 707 and then hopping a Piper Cub. Yeah. You start out with the high edge of it, you're definitely going to be able to handle the, the normal scuba open circuit. I thought that was quite interesting, but they said they started that. It's becoming and looking to be very successful. But I'm always curious if you've never dove, 
how do you know you're really going to like diving and to start with the that kind of training because you're talking the minimum i think for some of the the acquire for uh, the certification is like 400 minutes and the guy i was talking with and was discussing his students he likes to have at least a thousand minutes of time before he feels really comfortable in certifying them for that particular ccr now that's a that's a thousand minutes on that rebreather that's a thousand minutes on that rebreather wow and uh well basically he spends five days eight to ten hours a day on that machine uh, to get you into it uh because if you don't pay attention to it it'll kill you certainly now is this the first uh rebreather for poseidon or is this just a uh, an evolution in their product line well i think all of them are an evolution um he went through they had eight or ten there i know i had eight there at the pool uh, my understanding this is a prototype so it sounds like they're just getting into it for this aspect i really don't know from that aspect i i've got the brochure i was going to bring with me uh but it doesn't give me a little history telling me is this their first or not yeah I went out to the Poseidon site and and took a look after I'd heard you talk about it, and uh, they actually had a uh, oh they were they they were out in the Middle East doing some diving was it Malta or something, and uh, it sounded like they were bringing a lot of their distributors together. So it must be their get. I I don't know if it was this product or another one, but it sounds like they're really starting to push the rebreathers. Well, it also sounds like one of the guys asked, of course. Of all the ones we have out here, which one is the best? And the guy says, it's just like Ford, Chevy, Plymouth, whatever. You got four wheels, you got a brake, you got a gas, you got engine, steering column. But how come people buy different cars? The same for the rebreathers. What, you need one that will fit you and your, your mental attitude. And I tried on four different ones out there. I did both the KISS units, um, Inspiron, and the... Uh, Maglodon. Maglodon? Mm-hmm. Maglodon is one, yep. Yeah, I tried that one. And the Inspiron, I like, but you got to figure out what you're going to be doing with it. Uh, I had like the, the, the bladders were over the shoulders, so I had some in the front, in the back. So when I went on the bottom, I could rotate strictly on my head, no difference in the breathing. I could do a 360 circle up, you know, so my back was down, up and down. For the breathing resistance, did not change one iota with that one. With the other ones, if you did the gyration either on your belly or on your back, it changed the breathing pressures. Really? And that's right. Is it ain't like a, a regulator. You've got to start that little sucker. You got to sort of get it in there, and then the amount of volume it has is the volume you've got in your chest. You don't have any more, and you don't have any less. And the funny part, the other part you're going to have to relearn is your uh, your balance, your weight and balance. Because like you said, when you breathe in or out, you don't go up or down. Right. So you really have to adjust your trim. And depending on what you're doing, you can get your bladders to really expand, which is going to obviously make you a little bit light. But there's a technique you can purge the bladders, just, or at least I was able to push on it to hit the relief valve. The bladder would go down, and I could adjust my breathing I didn't know what I'm doing. Just making my bladder purge. Hmm. <clears throat> and the weight is great. With that on your back, it's a lot more comfortable than 
a single 80 or definitely on doubles because the balance was really nice. Uh, other features that you, if you're going to try them out, you really want to get one that fits you, meaning the harness needs to be adjusted correctly for you to give the orientation for your valves and for the bladders, and you don't want it to be moving around. All of the ones I tried had the jock straps. I don't know if you're familiar with those, where you yeah. have up between the legs, so everything stays centered. So adjustment of your harness and stuff, I think, will be critical, just like a BC, though. But once you get that in there, that's one of the items you don't have to keep adjusting when you're a student trying to make it work for you. Right. But these are all the items that Bob said. That one, you definitely need to try several varieties in the pool setting, not on the surface. And then start looking at what are you going to be doing to determine what type that you want. And then the care and feeding for what kind of soda sorb you're using loose, you're going to lose packed, you're going to use canisters. Lots of variations. Uh, the guy who asked him a question of which one should I buy, it's like if you look at all of them, you're going to find out that majority of them now have aftermarket buyers or uh, manufacturers that you can buy, oh, I want the best part of that one and put on mine. And you're mixing and matching, so you're taking all the best parts of all of them, putting them together around yours, so yours is a little unique, but it's got the best of all the ones you've got out there. So, so the parts are that interchangeable, I mean, in uh, the right some hands. Some are making parts, so, so they will be interchangeable because then your market just expanded. If I make it like a universal part and it's really good, uh, somebody else is going to, well, I'll buy that part for mine. Yeah. Well, I, I've, really interesting. I, I've, I've been noticing that some of the, the dive computers or the sensors have started to go that way where there's a lot of common sensors between all the units. Well, the guy who was asking questions was uh, an engineer, and it was interesting because after looking at Bob's with his uh, three sensors for the O2 and the readouts, uh, I, at work, I use what you call a summer and an adder and an averager. That I'm not sure why I need all those redundancies. I can have three inputs to a summoner averager to give me one output, so I have one LED and I don't need four or three of them. Uh -huh. Maybe I use two for backup, but even I could start minimizing some of the electronic aspects and that's what they're doing and like I, I was talking to Jim a little while ago when he starts talking rebreathers down to the three thousand dollar mark I can afford one of those that's and a little bit more palatable isn't it? Coming because, oh man because he was talking about if you get the recreational type you can either you know they were saying one you can do the bottles on air if you get it on air you're not going to knock out and, and, and kill yourself because you're already Start, you know, you're there. How can I hurt myself? Using the aspect of the support depth. All right. Then you can use oxygen. And of course, the savings, they said, really comes in when you're using the rebreather for deep diving on Trimex. They said if you're really doing a lot of diving, which you should be to keep proficient, you can pay for your rig in two years from the gas that you're going to save from doing your deep diving. Yeah, I've heard that. Now earlier, Don, you were talking about the weight. What's the what's the total weight of one of these units compared to, say, if we were gearing up with a, a weight integrated uh, aluminum eighty? Well, I, I really can't tell you. Uh, I just know putting mm -hmm. it on was not hard at all. Mm -hmm. uh, meaning the balance was easy, especially in yep. water. Uh, the only thing right. I didn't really want to do is get my mouthpiece in the water. 
but I didn't realize it at the time, but I, that's why I went to the class. There's actually a shutoff valve on that, so you can keep the water that if it gets in from going into your scrubber unit. Oh, yeah. Oh. We did see a little bit of that because somebody screwed up one, actually got water in it, and it caused it caustic. Yeah. Of course, he tosses that one out of the pool. Uh, so that was interesting. And a couple of them had different mechanisms in which you could actually um, use your tank as your primary, meaning you could, if you bailed out, you flip the switch, and now you're on your tank totally. You're away from the rebreather. Okay, so some of them you had your tank, because you had your uh, your two tanks. You have your uh, your Dilute, O2. Dilute, and, your, and your O2. Right. And so they had a they had a third tank that they were using? Nope, they had a valve that I could just flip and take it right off the dilutant, so I could oh. use that to bail out on. Oh, okay. Independent of having that sling tank like you would have had to on another one. Yeah, well, but that that dilutant you're you're just at however uh, length of time you have uh, based That's on correct. your volume. And since you've got a small tank, you're going to be beating feet up because you're not going to get a lot of breaths out of that little tank if you don't have if you're not in that recycle mode. Right. But weight-wise, I was just looking at some of the literature, and I really didn't see the weight referenced on this. Uh, like the Enviral, they have. Uh, four models, the micro, the mini, the standard, and the three, because one is a traveling pack, and the other one is for deep diving and heavy-duty work. Uh, again, I'll bring a lot of this literature to the club meeting, because it is fascinating. It sort of wants to, even if I didn't get involved in it, I'm definitely going to do a, a lot more research. And uh, they start getting them down to the $3,000 mark, it's like, that's that's very doable now. Oh, yeah, three well, $3,000, I mean, there's a way to convince yourself you can you need one for 3000 Well, <laughs> Dangerously so. Yeah. Well, they're saying here, you know, good down to 120 feet, meaning the sport depth is what you'd be using it at. And uh, that's most of what I'd be doing. You know, right. even on the, the shallow wrecks, the 60, 70-footers, it's going to increase my time. Now, what's the difference between the sport the sport depth and the tech depth uh, rebreathers? I'm not sure, other than my understanding there would be spec for the sport level depth, meaning not to be used past 120 feet. And then the, the tech ones, at the standard, the standard depth seems to be 250 to 290 feet. Mm -hmm. Now, I was looking up something, I think the guy who holds a record for whatever that means on a rebreather is 885 feet. Yeah. Now, you're, you're talking not on oxygen. You're talking trimix. Yeah. Yeah, because... There's a potential. Hmm. That is awesome to think that... Well, you know, we've talked about it in the past, Darren, um, that you're feeling, and I think you're right, that this is the future as this stuff starts to become more and more... Um, the way that transistors did for uh, vacuum tubes, um, yeah. you know, yeah, smaller I, and more affordable. Yeah, they, they just got to, uh, they'll make money out of it. They'll get them better refined. They'll improve the training and uh, they'll be able to sell them. And, and Don, you, you talked to us before the show about some of the experiences. What were some of the things that you noticed uh, with the closed circuit versus the open circuit? 
Uh, initially, putting it on was was no big deal, uh, especially if you could adjust the harness before you put it on. It's not as involved as you think. Well, one, we've already got a couple of hours investing now in reviewing the literature and stuff, so we, we have an appreciation for the bladders, the fill valves for both sides for your dilutant, for your O2, how to read the, the indicators, uh, the heads-up display that I had on two units, and the color coding. It really isn't that hard to start learning that once you start working with it. So some of the mystique went away, and it's like, oh, wait a minute, I, I, can, I can learn this. And this aspect, well, you got to look at your, your gauges all the time. Well, in skydiving, you look at your gauge all the time. You know, you do an act, you look at your wrist to see how far you've fallen. Well, there they're saying you want to look at least every two minutes. Well, I can definitely do every two minutes. Well, if we look back at our training for, for our open circuit stuff, we're supposed to be checking our, our instrumentation anyway, you know, for our, our pressure. So... That's not that crazy, I guess. Well, it is in one aspect is generally when I check mine, I go like open circuit. I know what I've got. I know the time. I go down and I look at mine more is, am I losing air? Not what air do I have mm -hmm. in league or something? Because we're doing it by time. And again, we're shallow. So even if we did screw it up, we can come up. Right. right. We, we don't I have a ceiling really yet. I want to pay more attention to my, my gauges if I were using a rebreather which was my next big whoopsie, is if you don't have good vision, meaning if you need, uh, you can't see close up, uh -oh. I have to get you a mask so you can read, because I couldn't read three out of the four devices, uh. because the, number, the numbers were not backlit sufficient for me, and they were too small. One of them was just almost perfect. And of course, if you had to choose, what are you going to take? The one I can read. Right. But uh, having a good prescription in there is going to be a necessity or would be uh, but I thought another item like in skydiving we have um, an audible altimeter it would be very 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 easy to make one for your for a novice anyway list learning so you didn't forget to look at your gauge this I'm going to give you a beep every minute or every two minutes just a prompt yeah yeah they're easy they're cheap um, I could put one in my hood and that would be another good aid, not not a substitution, but an aid to help me out. Yeah. And then the one I told you about, the one that Bob mentioned, but I didn't realize it was, it's quiet. When you get down there and you're goofing around doing your thing and then you realize, wait a minute, what did I just bump into somebody? You didn't hear them. It's silent. That is so cool. When you <laughs> suddenly realize that I don't hear anything. Unless somebody bumps on the tank or on the bottom or something. But that, it just amazes me. It still strikes me that how quiet it was. And I can understand now why some fish will come to you because you're not intrusive now. You're, you're one of them. There is no bubble. There is no big agitation of this Darth Vader syndrome. That is freaking awesome. <laughs> that, that would be uh, uh, otherworldly, um, not being able to hear your dive buddy right next to you. I mean, that's uh, that's one of the things that I use as a, a, a cue for, you know, where where my buddy's at is you can kind of get a sense for the bubbles, the exhaust from the from his regulator and things like that. To not have that would be a little freaky. Well, we're also used to having really bad visibility, so that's almost like an 
an aid. You know, if I can hear you right. breathe, then I'm, I'm assuming you're doing okay. It's akin to a backup alarm on a foggy day when the trash truck is down your street. If yes. you hear the backup alarm, look out. So. Yeah. Well, they also covered that, like, when you're diving with your buddy, they teach you to know his equipment. Like, what kind of BC does he have so you can dump his weight? You can get to his uh, inflator. Uh, what kind of regulator? What kind of uh, secondary octopus does he have? They're saying if you're doing a mixed bag, meaning uh, open circuit with the closed circuit, you got to get together and know each other's equipment because you need to know what some key items for him, you know, if you're diving with him. Is he checking his gauges? Can you see his gauges? Do you know what his gauges mean if you did see them? Well, you that, really want to know that because they're saying a lot of times when the guys are together, it's like their buddy check is what gets somebody out of trouble because you don't realize you're in trouble. You're becoming agnostic or epoxic mm. or something. You don't have a clue. It's your actions that your buddy sees that clues him to come over and validate what you're doing. And are you, you know, conscious of what's going on? Well, that story that that dive right uh, speaker had talked about where he had his buddy, you know, who was an actual instructor for the rebreathers and, he didn't realize that uh, he wasn't reading his gauges right, and uh, you know he he uh, passed, almost passed out. Yeah, I, I can see how you could do that, but as a novice, you're always looking at your gauges. Same as when you're flying your airplane, you're always looking inside and they say, "Get your head out of the cockpit and look outside," because that's what's going on. You know, mm-hmm. the house getting big or is it getting small? So it's going to be interesting. That's like. huh? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I think that Poseidon, I haven't seen a firm number on it, but I think right now they're talking about 6,000. Well, again, if it becomes mainstay, uh, main, whatever, mainstream, mainstream, especially if they're going to start it that way down south, it's definitely going to filter up. But then you're going to have used gear because people will try this. I like it, but I'm going to get something better. You know, because you'll get one that's a recreational. And then uh-huh. eventually they're going to step up and get a techie one. Right. There's a progression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it sounds interesting. I'd like to do this again, but I'd like to get a little more information. And, yeah, it was a little pricey. I went ahead and priced out the whole trip. And I beat the heck out of 180 bucks. you know, gas, food, getting in and out. I bought a couple of books. I'm going to bring those to the <laughs> uh, uh, Door County, some of the, the other items, uh, presentations, they got a lot of shipwrecks over there, guys. And some of them look pretty nice. Uh, just the history of some of those things are is outstanding. And a lot of the stuff over there, you're talking 200 feet plus. And a yeah. lot of guys are diving, techie stuff. Yes. That's, that's the way to go. I mean, if if... If we ever log enough time to to warrant that kind of stuff, the rebreather seems to be a way to go to get down to that stuff um, safely. Um, you know, I, they they do kind of seem out there, and they seem a little bit of a little bit black ops, I guess, if you will, or or high speed low drag stuff. But for what they can do and offer for a diver who wants to go that deep, it just seems to be the way to go. I'm definitely looking in that aspect but see i like caving also and uh the lady who runs diversion scuba and that's uh, who sponsored or one of the sponsors i suppose of the rebreathers because a lot of people brought them in um you named the cert that woman has it Hmm. i 
I went through, she's got a seven-page resume. And if you think Jacques Cousteau knew what he was doing, this woman's <laughs> outstanding. Wow. Okay, I mean, you name it, she's got it. She's got certs I never knew existed. <laughs> but uh, she's in the caving, really heavy. And uh, it's like, man, the rebreather on the caving is great. But this goes back into your gearing. If you're going to dive a rebreather, you're going to have to have a dry suit. Now, when they're doing caving on a rebreather, I know sometimes you got to squeeze through those spots. Are they actually taking the rebreather off? Uh, I don't know on that aspect. Uh, the caving they're doing there were, look appeared to be big caves. Oh, okay. And of course, on a training dive, you're not going to be having a guy take his gear off. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. That's an evolution. But there's so many other items you can do with it I hadn't really thought about. Uh, obviously, penetration is going to be good because you're not having the bubbles go to the overhead and kicking up silt. Right. Mm-hmm. It gets your frog kick in so you can keep your fins off the bottom. That's going to make a difference. And the same thing applies in the cave. I don't. You've never been in a cave yet, but you start kicking up the silt in a small enclosure, and it's zero vis, like poof. Yeah. Yeah, you've got a problem. Yeah, that fine, that fine uh, sediment and silt is just going to cloud everything up. So being able to get rid of the bubbles from that has got to be a big, big plus. But there's a lot of different items, but definitely you're going to have to have a dry suit and be conversant in the dry suit before you get to this. So spend your money on that dry suit just like you planned on. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it. Uh, yeah, we're definitely going to have to get there. Well, these guys are talking two and three dives a day on open circuit, and they're talking four hours when they're doing their dives here. Well, four hours in the water we've been diving in ain't going to happen with a wetsuit. No, 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 no. it's not. <laughs> no. no, not at all. I, I think my record so far this year has been 30 minutes in the water. Right, and it, you know, last weekend it was uh, 39, 40 degrees, and that seemed... Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, let's let's go ahead and talk about last weekend's dive. Uh, Don, you didn't miss anything. <laughs> that was. No. Uh, I mean, it was good that we got in the water, but this was. Gosh, how how much do you think it was, Jim? Uh, well, you know, in thinking back, what what was it when we measured it? We we were pretty smart. We took out a a, a rope with a weight on it and took some soundings and kind of looked and saw what we could see, and we thought it was about six feet. And we were wrong by a pretty big factor. I think I couldn't see my fingers when I'd stretch my arm well, out. When yeah, we I, I think we were fooled a little, fooled a little bit by the, uh, you know, the sunlight. It was a bright sunny day, mm-hmm. and we dropped that shiny weight, and you could see it reflect. Well, seeing light reflect off a of weight and visibility was two different things. And when we got down there, I bet it wasn't 24 inches. You yeah. held your your arms out, and you could not see your hands. Now. Bob could see his hands, and at first we were thinking it's because he was short, but he said it was because of his light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. He, he told uh, me I need to get a big light makes up for a lot. Yeah. He, he said uh, he said I couldn't see my hands because my light wasn't bright enough. So. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Oh, what we did, uh, you know, Jim and I got there early, and we went and walked down to the end of the the pier and back. And then we kind of stalled a little bit, and then uh, Kurt and Bob got there. We walked to the end of the pier and back. <laughs> and then we geared up and walked about midway on the pier and then went in. And I was the last one in, 
And just as my feet got off the bottom rung, and, and this is, uh, for, for people who don't know what this is, it's a, it's a seawall put up by the Army Corps engineers. It's a pier in St. Joe, Michigan. And uh, it, it's a nice structure, but with the water level from the, the surface, there's a ladder going down in, what'd that have to be, 10 feet down? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking it was a good eight feet anyway, maybe more, so, um, down to the water. So, you know, you gear up and you're getting all the way down. So everybody made it in fine. I'm the last one in. My feet come off the rung because the last rung was about eight inches above the water and there's no more steps. And just as I do that, my dive flashlight slipped between the rung and the wall. So <laughs> I got my right hand up in the air suspended from my dive light. <laughs> and now I'm thinking about how in the world am I going to get it up? And I could see that, you know, I had the, the lanyard was loose enough, so it's starting to slide. And I think Jim was offering me a dive knife. And I, I was getting ready to climb up your back and cut the lanyard because I thought that would be cool. Well, I was I, thinking I you cut the arm, the hand off first because you can't destroy good scuba gear. You don't do and that they, without video, though. <laughs> without video. <laughs> I have video. Oh, my goodness. But, yeah, that was a good lesson learned there, though, to yeah, watch the I, I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't feel like it. I mean, I know it was dangling, but, you know, it's, a, it's how we get all that gear together, and it's what we had gotten accustomed to diving, and, you know, I needed to adjust it to that environment. And, yeah, it was a good learning experience. I'll definitely find a different way to secure that coming down the ladder next time. Right, maybe even with a breakaway uh, component or something on it, but... Uh... Yeah, or, or really keep it in the pack. You know, I'm just getting to where, you know, I'm I'm diving with a light nine times out of ten, so I just yep. got it there. It's in my hand, and you know, I, I, I'm counting on the lanyard a little bit too much. You know, you you let go, you, you do something with your hand, you go pick it back up. Well, you know, here I should have had everything all stowed till I got in the water, and that was something that you learn. Yep. But uh, it was right down because I was able to slide my hand out. It fell right down. Uh, when we got to the bottom, it was right there. See, that's the advantage of taking little steps because the little items don't kill you. So by the time you get to a big one, you've got a lot of experiences like you're learning here. Yep. Yeah. 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 I, you know, true. It's those overlapping mistakes. You do too many or you don't know when to call it. That's what gets you in trouble. But this the little one here, uh, no better way to learn, I guess. And, yeah. Uh, and it, it really, it was a little humorous, but it was also, you know, enough to point out, you know, it, had it happened underwater, had it happened, you know, uh, you know, it could have been a lot, lot more difficult than it was. Um, but uh, all in all, you know, I'd still say it was successful. It was safe. It was, it was, uh, we got wet a um, little bit. I know Kirk had uh, a wetsuit, I think, that leaked a little bit. So he, he pulled out pretty quickly. Um but did you see anything down in the bottom there, Darren? I don't know if we lost him or not. Did you guys go down Riverside on the Riverside, or did you go on the Lakeside? Yeah, we went down on the Riverside. Oh, uh, and it. Oh, are you there? Yeah, I, I, I was coughing, and I turned my cough button on, and I <laughs> forgot to flip it. So you probably <laughs> wow. haven't heard me for the last half hour, have you? <laughs> well, it was. You know what? We've had a good conversation, though. Um, but no. Down, we went down on the riverside, and uh, we walked up over on one of our trips down to the end of the pier and back. Um, the north side of the north pier was totally uh, snow-packed and ice-covered, ice probably at least eight feet high, 
probably closer to 12 to 15 most of the ways. But if you crawled up and, and looked over it at the one section where the pier met the beat, beautiful ice cavern that had melted, you could see down into the water that opened up into a cave that opened up out into the lake. Um, and had we been able to swim around the end of the pier and come back in, that would have been an awesome thing to, to look at um, from the water side. That would have been very cool. What yeah. kind of current did you have? Almost none. Yeah, pretty minimal up against the wall. And we, we because the visibility was so low, I was never more than an arm length uh, away from the wall. Yeah, Bob said when he got out in the middle, we had a boat came through and knocked out a, a fisherman's pole. So he was actually out there seeing if he could find it. And uh, he said there was a good current there in the middle. But, uh, yeah, I didn't see anything along the bottom. I got my camera out and uh, was testing. Uh, I, I got a couple good shots of a uh, rope and uh, a snap. <laughs> I think I think you're in one of those pictures, but you can't tell. I'm probably about 28 inches away from the camera, though, so you can't see me. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, actually, the the bottom was a little bit cleaner and more organized than I was expecting. Um, you know, when there you was dive, that. When you dive the pier side. That's where you'll have the big rocks, especially toward the north end. You'll have them almost as big as Volkswagens. The The inside of the pier is dredged every year, every other year. So it should be smooth and it should be sand. Yeah, it, it seemed to be that. I mean, we did, we did, like we said, we only got about five, six feet out from the wall at most. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was very clean along the bottom. Right, and there was a large conduit that was going that, that was just kind of laying in the corner between the, the bottom and the, the wall. Um, but it was loose. You could feel it was loose, but it went all the way out to the end. Um, yeah. But I can imagine that those those rocks would get a little bit tricky that you're talking about out outside on the lakeside, couldn't they? I mean, I'm sure that there's some pretty big crevices and, and things like that, openings. Absolutely. You can get your foot caught. If you go into some of those head first looking for weights and stuff, uh, you don't want to get yourself jammed in there because that's a little awkward. Ain't nobody to pull you out unless you do have a buddy. Could be tough. Yeah. Well, that's going to be a lot more fun, though, than diving on the inside. I've never dove the inside of the river there. Uh, when I was out there last week and flew over it, it was like black. Well, it was like that from the inside, too. So. Yeah. It was like uh, swimming in a teacup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <clears throat> but I, I would have, I would have liked to, had we been able to get to the north side or to the lake side of the pier, it would have. Uh, that's what we would have done probably, um, because it would have been neat to get out under some of the ice flows that were out there, um, and not to swim under the overhangs, but to see what they looked like from the water side. I, I really would have liked to do that. It's interesting because it's not like the water on the lake we've been diving where it's, mm -hmm. it's um, flat and nice, it's actually an iceberg. That's what mm -hmm. you're going to find is really neat. Ah. Yeah. Pancake ice, ice is flat. But some of that, when they build up, where you went out, there's like uh, maybe a 10-foot bank on the other side, meaning the uh, lake side. You're going to have that go down to the bottom and almost, uh, it can be 10-foot deep. So when you're coming at it from the side, it's going to be awesome. Wow. Because it yeah, actually powers the bottom. be very cool. So, yeah, but we got wet. 
we got it in the water. Kurt discovered he's got a leak that he's got to fix. So I think overall right. it was a it was a good dive. The the hardest part was hauling the gear up by uh-huh. rope out of the, you know, because the the long climb down meant a long haul back out. Well, I, we, was, go ahead. I was I was pretty impressed. We all made it back up. I mean, I I, I don't mind saying I was kind of <laughs> wondering. You know, you, you you get out there, you do a little swimming, you get a little tired, uh, adrenaline going, and then you as you start to come out to be to not have the energy, but. And then the, again, we 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 didn't, if we'd gone farther out, there were some ladders that had rungs that started underwater. But this was, you know, six eight inches. So, you know, you're you're climbing up just with your hands until your feet can get on a rung to climb out. Right. That was another part that Bob kind of I don't know if he intentionally did. But he came. He was able to climb out all geared up, uh, while we had to yeah. we had to get rid of our gear in the water and haul it up by rope. Because uh, he found a ladder that had rungs that went all the way down. So, uh, yeah. That's yeah. Diving in a gale, though, where the waves are like 10 feet. Oh. We ride the wave. When it comes up over the pier, you just scooch off of it real quick. And then you don't have to climb up the ladder. Yeah. Or, or you got the alternative where you smack your head against the side. <laughs> well, there's that side. But... Be careful. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Mom. <laughs> Um, so anyway, I, I do, I think I would like to go out and hit the, around the end of the pier, uh, when it warms up a little bit and on the lake side. And I think that would make a nice evening dive. Um, probably when, you know, the, the wind is calmed down and the waves, when yeah. it's like glass like out there, I think that would be a neat dive. It might not be a bad night dive either. The South pier is your best one almost all the time because the winds come from the, the North and the West. So the North pier acts as a buffer. So you yeah, can it is dive protected, south isn't it? a lot of times when you can't dive the north. Yeah, that south pier lost a tower this this year I saw. Yeah, that shows you what kind of waves come out there. Yeah, for, yeah. For those who don't know, it's a it's a, you know, we've got a catwalk on the north pier, and there's a large lighthouse and then a smaller lighthouse, and the south pier just had what was it like a light on a, kind of like a four legged, stand. Well, yeah. actually. What it is, it's a big concrete block on the end of it that is uh, approximately eight foot high with stairs up. And then they have, uh, it's a post, it's actually a single post, but it's like 12 inches around with four bolts down in it. And that went up with the light and the, um, it's got like a signal panel on it of different colors. And that sucker has got to be easy, 20 feet up in the air. Uh-huh. Got, that's the one that got totally knocked off. Yeah. Way back. Yeah. So they they haven't, they haven't put it back up yet. In some of the pictures you can see kind of a, a ice block mushroom. Hmm. Okay. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, jump into the news a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sent you guys out some links, and uh, let's see. Hopefully we don't crash any computers as we do it. Uh, the first one was, uh, this could be underwater love, marriage proposal, an aquarium after groom l- learns to scuba dive in secret. <laughs> and, I, and I thought this one was, uh, was interesting. And, uh, but what I thought was even more interesting, always looking for the conspiracy theory, was <laughs> is that take a look at the pictures. And uh, you know, for those of you following along, I'll have uh, notes posted on the website so you can, so you can take a look. 
And it said everything went rather swimmingly as far as marriage proposals go. Uh, Wang Jin uh, decided to take the plunge and pop the question from inside the aquarium while his girlfriend looked in, on in shock. Mr. Jin, 28, had been taking diving lessons in secret for excuse me, two months before taking her to the Futzhau. Oh, I'm not going to try this last name. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say it was the aquarium over somewhere in China. Right. Yep. And, uh, yeah. and, uh, and I'm not going to try her name. I, I, I'm sticking with my tradition of finding these. It's Zai Wenzhen, 24. Uh, they decided to uh, witness a friend's propose to his girlfriend. Juan said we should go along for some tips, and then he left me in front of the giant tank saying he was going to go get some drinks. Suddenly a boy holding a bunch of flowers appeared in the water and two divers behind him opened a scroll saying, please marry me. Uh, she said she was totally stunned uh, by the man in the tank was her boyfriend. She never expected it. She was so happy. Uh, and she accepted by kissing the glass uh, of the aquarium. But, and I guess it is a big deal, but look at all the cameras. And these yeah. aren't these aren't your... You know, I just happen to have a camera. These are your three CCD commercial high def cameras all on you know on this. So it it just seemed a little staged to me. You know, I you know I don't blame them. You know, call the media, get some recognition, make a big day out of it. You know, congrats to them. But yeah, you know, it what a very very cool though. I mean, they'll remember that for well for the rest of their lives, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, well, the amazing part is just to go and sneak scuba lessons. <laughs> now, now that I got to give him credit for. Now, that's my type of guy. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So uh, we'll just uh, just imagine, uh, you know, how 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 many more years is he going to be before uh, he can't uh, scuba dive? <laughs> <laughs> and next, <laughs> and next, yeah, the the deadly silence. Okay. So the next one is, and uh, if you've been watching news, you see the scuba diver sues. Uh, he says the boat left him behind. And this is from something that happened a while back, but it is all things in the court system. It takes a little bit of time. The scuba diver was left at sea by a charter boat in 2004, thought he would never make it back to shore, uh, and he was just figured he was going to die. Uh, and uh, obviously he lived because he's filing the lawsuit. Uh for four million dollars against the dive company and pretty much everybody related, uh, he filed the suit in January 2005. The trial will deal with the allegations of negligence and intentional infliction of emotional distress. Uh, defense attorney said in the opening statements Tuesday that Carlock 51 was careless and didn't follow the rules for safe diving. This is a case where more about trying to shift responsibilities to others and not taking responsibility for yourself in an adventure sport uh, was the attorneys representing the dive companies. Uh, Carhart did not confirm who his dive buddy was before the dive. He also surfaced far from the oil rig which they were supposed to come up and should have tried to swim closer to the vessel before he left. It was on the morning of April 25, 2004, in foggy conditions. He left about seven miles off of Newport Beach, after he was separated from about 20 other divers. At the second location, the boat staff members noticed that he was gone. They called the U.S. Coast Guard to the second dive site to look for him. Uh, he was swimming with his three dive buddies, 
when he had problems equalizing pressure in his ears and fell behind. Uh, he tried following his partner's bubbles, but he lost them. He decided to end his dive after 15 minutes, but when he surfaced, he was 400 feet down current from the oil platform where his boat was anchored. He figured he couldn't make the upswim current, so he decided to wait, blowing his whistle as loud as he could. Uh, he said, I figured when the dive was over, they would realize I was missing and come looking for me, and they never came. Uh, wow. Yeah, and uh, he was eventually picked up about four hours later. Well, yeah, I won't read the whole thing. Uh, but he did eventually come up with cancer, so he's blaming the dive company for his cancer for being in the sun four hours. You know, emotional stress, trauma. Yeah, I, I can see both sides of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing is, you know, you, you in this particular case, you know, where was his dive buddy? You know, and that's what the dive charter is saying is, you know, he didn't have a dive buddy. But this dive boat company obviously didn't have some sort of routine to know that somebody hadn't come up. Plus, the guy who he said was his dive buddy was actually an instructor who didn't even get in the water. Oh, wow. So, yeah, this is one of those. I'm sure we're going to hear more about it. But as I was thinking, you know, the, I, I picked up and they said the oil rig, and that reminded me of that uh, our world underwater, where we saw the everybody diving on those oil oil rigs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on the Derrick, it was uh, that would be a neat dive. Well, and that... well you, you wonder where you know personal responsibility picks up. Yeah, the boat. Uh, should have had a means of of checking uh, because it looks like they left left the scene when they thought all the divers were on board. Um, uh, be interested in seeing what the what the procedure is for assuring that you've got everybody on that that was supposed to be on board. It just reminds me, what was that move? That terrible movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> forget the name of it already. Oh, uh, we keep suppressing it, but uh, open water. Yep, that was it. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing. <clears throat> okay, the next article is on scuba-inspired fashions. And I've always known that I've been exceptionally gifted with fashion. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to say, <laughs> something. <laughs> you have to correct it. So, uh, But uh, it, it seems to be that scuba's coming back in fashion. Again, go to the website in the show notes. Uh and it, it just seems that they've got a cycle going. And uh, and I was looking, and it didn't look too scuba-like to me, uh, the, these fashions. You know. Well, you, how far of a stretch is it, you know? Yeah, I, I just think they like to say scuba. Uh, you know, and, and in the article they talk about, you know, how it's coming back in. And, and then even the Rudenberry dive team has their Star Trek uh Star Trek inspired wetsuits. So, uh, yeah, go go ahead and take a take a look at those, uh, and then uh, we'll we'll jump around a little bit. Uh, I've had some links to the Urban Dictionary. I've been following scuba and snorkeling on Twitter, and there are some terms for scuba and snorkeling that aren't the most friendly. And some of them have even been associated with politicians. Oh, I think, no. Yeah. I think any time you have a term that gets associated with politicians, it just taints it so terribly. So, uh, you know, I, we won't go on here. You know, we've got mixed company. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, go click on the link, the Urban Dictionary. I'm not responsible for any shock. But I did not know that 
when I say I'm going snorkeling with my dive buddy, that it means something completely different than what it means to me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to, re- I'm just going to be old school and it's going to mean what it used to be in the good old days. That's what it means to me. Yeah. But in Twitter, if you do a search on, on this, you know, you can't naturally assume that, assume that somebody talking about snorkeling or scuba is talking as innocent as we're thinking. So, because, I, I, you don't want to just jump into that conversation yeah. without knowing, huh? Oh yeah, you know, I was uh yeah, we, we mixed a little bit of O2 with that and then people are going to look at you kind of strange. Yeah. So. Not that this isn't strange. I mean, seriously, this is some strange stuff. But what can you say? Okay, and then also there's a uh CSI Cayman Islands. Uh I don't know, you you like those uh crime shows, Jim? You know, yeah, I like the first couple of them, and then after that, I guess I just get uh, get bored with it. Um, but but it is interesting to follow some of that stuff, and um, I guess you gotta, I don't know, try and get away with the perfect crime. To <laughs> but anyway, do you like them? <laughs> well, NCIS, that's about the only yeah. one I watch. I I kind of miss the whole CSI thing. Uh, my my sister had an interest in that line of work, so that's what she went to school for. Mm-hmm. Ended up being the pharmaceutical industry. But, uh, you know, this is uh, the CSI Cayman Islands. It's a novel concept, underwater CSI. It's something that's not on television. And uh, there's the Central Caribbean Marine Institute is actually doing a course on it. So you could be the first underwater CSI expert. So... I don't know if this is legitimate. I mean, it, it, you're definitely going to get your certification, but who is hiring underwater CSI people? Hmm. So well, it would be kind of interesting. Well, yeah, I, I think that they're they're playing into just the interest, and they're actually going at it from an uh, environmental angle. Uh, you know, they, they've got part of it where they're talking about uh, protecting coral coral reefs and underwater crime. So. Uh, you know, and, and we've seen a little bit, I mean, I, I guess maybe it could be an extension of the rescue divers that we have around here, you know, maybe a little bit of tweaking and that'd be an interesting program. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, uh, the final article we have is the, uh, international public safety diver challenge has been announced. Uh, this is the first year for this program. I've uh, seen that. That looks neat. It, it is. It's going to be regional competitions around the country. And then it's going to uh, have a final competition in Charlotte, North Carolina. That'll be September 20th through the 23rd, 2010. So, if you're a uh, public safety diver, you know, look it up. You know, I'm I'm not currently, but you know, if I was, that would that'd be something that'd be interesting to mm-hmm. to do. Uh, what what I also thought was interesting is that they, there's actually some uh, some events. So it's four timed events. Uh, which include equipment assembly and don, a surface rescue swim, an under uh, underwater arc base search pattern, and a compass course. So, it does. You know, it, it might be interesting to get these rules. That might be uh, an interesting, uh, fun uh, event just for the club in the middle of the summer. Well, we used to do the underwater compass course for the ecology or for the um, aquathon. We used to have the underwater tug of war. Oh. Black Mask Swim, which is funny. <laughs> there is a lot of fun out there. That would be fun. Well, now, it is. Now, 
Yeah, I, I'm just thinking of black mats. There's all sorts of twists you could do to that. You know, jelly. <laughs> a pack, pack of masks with jelly. I mean, or am I thinking more <laughs> practical jokes, I guess? Yeah, that that sounds like a, <laughs> something that you would do to a dive buddy. <clears throat> uh-huh. Yeah. I don't know the word kinky comes to mind, but I'm going to stay away. <laughs> Once again, back to snorkeling and scuba. Oh. Don't forget the snorkeling. Just get the scuba. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, when you read that link, you're going to laugh so hard. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> can't believe you've been saying that word. <laughs> yeah, that's bad stuff. <clears throat> Plus, I get 25 cents per click, so. <laughs> no. Well, that's not bad. No. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, let's see. Then we got this, uh, we're talking about a dive on Saturday. Did I hear? Yeah. Who's supposed to have a bunch of people in the water, aren't we? Well, I don't know. I know I can't be there. I got safety weekend. Uh Uh-oh. That's jumping training. I don't want to miss that. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll. The week after. Well, well, the week after, well, actually, I'm the week after. I'm going to be out of the state, so you guys can proxy dive for me. I'm going to be sn- sn- there snorkeling in a pool. I almost hate to say snorkeling. All, all, all our good terms are being used. So, you're uh, going up to, uh, yeah, into Wisconsin, right? Yeah, we're going to go hit one of the uh, indoor water parks with the kids and family, and uh, that'll be a great time. Uh, but this week we're going to dive on uh, which is it Havana. That's the plan right now, I think. Yeah, and I'm hopefully I'm I'm feeling better, but you know I I'm hoping I don't have to call it. So we'll see. Uh, I think he was talking uh, Diamond Lake and the wreck that's in Diamond Lake is one alternate, and then the Havana. Yeah. Is the next alternate? Yeah, Kurt Kurt wanted to be wanted to get out to the Havana just I think to be the first one on it this season. Well, I, I told him I would suggest you guys do the Inland Lake uh-huh. because you're going to be so far offshore that if you guys come up since you're wet, yep. you could be rather uncomfortable if you're going to stay down there a while. That well, is I, one of the things the, we were talking about. Yeah, absolutely. We, we were agreeing on that one. So, uh, yeah, yeah. either way, uh, I just hope it's earlier in the day because i got things i got to do later in the day. Not that there's other things other than scuba. And then... Uh, if Go you ahead. do out, take extra hot water with you so you can put it in your suit when you get out on the boat. Yeah. yeah. I normally do. I'm just wondering, if, uh, Bob was talking about how tight that boat was, if he's going to give me any extra room. I might might just leave that. We might just have that hot uh, one hot water jug we'll bring with us. Yeah, we'll we'll have to talk about it as we get closer. Uh, but I'm I'm looking forward to it, and it's getting warmer every week because what we were I mean it was only 24 inches viz, but we did have 40 degrees, which is like a heat wave. So right, and we've had some sunny days. We had thunderstorms tonight, but uh, it's it's starting to get a little bit warmer. Every every weekend, as I'm looking back through my log, it's interesting to see how fast the the water temperature would change. Uh, you know, you kind of think of it as being pretty static, but uh, it it can fluctuate up and down pretty rapidly. Once it gets to about 50 degrees, all the precautions and the stuff that we're doing now to get into the ice, you're going to be able to get full dives out of your tank of air when it hits 50 in your wetsuit with that stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Me too. 
Yeah. Well, I know when uh, we had that one river dive and it was 33, that difference between 33 and 37 was just huge. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, you know, this past weekend at 40 degrees. Yeah, it was almost like balmy. <laughs> yes. Yep. I, I didn't, I, we, we weren't in long. I, 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 I think what we had 15 minutes maybe. Yeah, 15. maybe 20 by the time we got done floating around. Yeah. yeah, 15 to 20 minutes in. Yeah, I wasn't cold at all. So uh, we, we've definitely got the uh, the gearing up and and uh, how to prep in line. So and then I I did my impulse buy this week. I'll cover it a little bit more after I get the gear. I haven't actually picked it up, but uh, bought a reg and octo and two tanks. So yeah, that's good. That oh, and, means, and, uh... a, and a computer too. So yeah, I I, I went all in. Good. So, but uh, get it real, you know, right now is a great time to buy gear beginning of the season, so I'm going to use it. You know, it's much better than at the end of the year going, I can't wait for next year to go and dive, so. That's well, if next year's platform. anything like this one, uh, you'll be diving all year. What's that, Don? I was going to say, uh, the other item I forgot to mention is that a lot of good sales. <laughs> yeah, like I you were saying, on mm-hmm. gear at this one also, because it was like the end of the year, close out for the summer. Yep. So if you knew what you were looking for, you could have got some sweet deals. Yeah. I don't think I did too bad on uh, what I paid for mine. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy. We'll, we'll, we'll see when we get it, and it's stuff that I'm going to use for a long time. Right. Right. And you chose to go through a local dealer, right? Yep. Yep. Just yep. Uh, We had Kathy on earlier in the year, and that's where I, I, I bought this from. Uh, in fact, yep. they're on their way right now to Fiji. Yep, they're two, on their way for two, two weeks. weeks in Fiji. They left uh, today, actually. Oh. So it'll be interesting when they get back to hear uh, how Fiji diving was. So well, Probably warm and clear. Yep. So uh, everybody, make sure you get out to the Facebook page for Scuba Obsessed. Uh, we also on Twitter. Uh, yeah, also get to the scubaobsessed.com website. Uh, before I get going, you got anything, Jim? No, I I don't have anything. Uh, just try and see if everybody can get out and dive uh, dive over the weekend. Certainly. Uh, how about you, Don? Well, if you're uh, in Southwest Michigan, check the Mud Club website. Uh, it's been updated again. Got the newsletter on it today. And if you haven't checked it, you need to check it for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll I'll, I'll uh, right after this, I'll go jump on and take a look. Uh, Make sure it's in the right spot. Uh, copy it over if it if it's not there. Yeah, I and, think it's there. And I added that I did a, another uh, road trip up to uh, Grand Rapids. Check Moby Scuba. They're, uh, I mean, you walk out their back door, you're in their lake. I, I saw that. That's pretty cool, man. Now, now they've got uh, they they actually had the dive platform right there. You saw it. I got uh, I was able to photograph two of them. That even though they were underwater, you can see them. Yeah, that is nice. That's that's the way to do a dive shop, I think, is to, to have that dive shop right next to your dive location. You know, sell the gear, give them a class, and throw them in the water. Definitely oh, a, a win-win. Yeah, it doesn't take them any time to get to the site. I mean, it's right there. <laughs> uh, they do their pumpkin carving contest there. They do their night dives. Um, you're welcome to be there as long as they have an active class going on. Otherwise, they shut the gate. That's probably uh-huh. the only item I didn't like. Uh, there's no other public access to it except there. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, huh. The part to the left of it will not allow any snorkeling or scuba gear on their area, so you can't use that as an entry point. Uh, uh, max depth is about 50 feet. It used to be a quarry, so it's not mucky mucky bottom. Okay. And they have some boats and stuff out there, so uh, it sounded like a good place to visit, so I did and made up a little write-up. Great. Yeah, that was a, that was a nice trip. Uh, that'd be interesting to head up there and see what they got. So uh, let's go ahead and end with our next scuba bad joke of the week. And I, I selected this one in, in, in honor of uh, the three of us. So uh, we have uh, two divers go muck diving looking for some collectible bottles. They find many pristine bottles, fill their bags, and return to the shore. The first one says, I hope you remember the spot where we found all these bottles. The other one answers, yes, I made an X on the side of the boat to mark the spot. The other one looks at him and cries, you idiot. How do you know we'll have the same boat tomorrow? <laughs> okay, uh, who's who? <laughs> we'll say Don was the one in the boat, so uh, okay. <laughs> it, was, it was us. So. Okay, well, everybody go out there and get wet. And dive safe. And it's in the cans. <laughs>